We're actually going to take a look today in the sermon, uh, pretty much looking at the whole of chapter 13. But we're only going to read a section, and so we're going to pick up in verse 26, and we're going to read through verse 39. This is uh, detailing for us a little bit of Paul, uh, who was once known as Saul. Saul was his uh, Hebrew name. Paul was his Grecian name. He began to use Paul the more and more in which he ministered in uh, what, what was called the Gentile world, but he always started sharing the good news of Jesus with his people, the Jewish people, first. And so he is going from town to town. He has been sent uh, on his very first missionary adventure. And so we are reading a little bit about that first missionary experience of the Apostle Paul, also known as Saul. So we're going to pick up in verse 26 of Acts chapter 13. It begins like this, and these are the words of Paul. He says, Fellow children of Abraham and you God-fearing Gentiles, it is to us that this message of salvation has been sent. The people of Jerusalem and the rulers did not recognize Jesus, yet in condemning him, they fulfilled the words of the prophets that are read here every Sabbath. Though they found no proper ground for a death sentence, they asked Pilate to have him executed. When they had carried out all that was written about him, they took him down from the cross and laid him in a tomb. But God raised him from the dead. And for many days he was seen by those who had traveled with him from Galilee to Jerusalem. They are now his witnesses to our people. We tell you the good news. What God has promised our ancestors, he has fulfilled for us, their children, by raising up Jesus. As it is written in the second psalm, you are my son, and today I have become your father. God raised him from the dead so that he will never be subject to decay, as God has said. I will give you the holy and sure blessings promised to David. So it is also stated elsewhere, you will not let your holy one see decay. Now, when David had served God's purpose in his own generation, he fell asleep. He was buried with his ancestors and his body decayed. But the one, but the one whom God raised from the dead did not see decay. Therefore, my friends, I want you to know that through Jesus, the forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. Through him, everyone who believes is set free from every sin, a justification you are not able to obtain under the law of Moses. This is the reading of God's word. You may be seated. As you are parents, we do not have kingdom kids today, so you have to hang in there with the kiddos during the service. We do have uh, some activity books in the back. If you'd like to pick one of those up, don't be shy. Just go back there and grab one. I'll have great activities for the kids to engage in as we worship together today. Uh, as many of you know, we are working through the Bible together with a annual reading plan as a church family. And each Sunday I preach out of something that we've read the previous week, and obviously we are now into the book of Acts. If you want to follow along in that plan with us today, we invite you to do so. You will find a reading plan in the back. It looks like this. And my encouragement to you is if you have not been following the reading plan, just pick up on, it's dated, so pick up on today's reading. 
Uh, actually, it's a Monday through Friday reading, so you can pick up on tomorrow's reading, and then you can get caught up over time because the weekends there is not a scripture reading reference, so you can use that time to catch up. If you've caught up, one of the things you can do is on those Saturdays and Sundays, something you read during the week maybe piqued your interest and you wanted to learn more, but you got to get the kids out of the house, you got to get to work, you got things to do, and, and maybe you didn't have the time to sit and study the Bible. Well, weekends are a great opportunity to do that. And so that's what I did this past weekend. I was reading out of uh, Psalm 105, I think it was, or 108. I'm pretty sure it's 105. And it was talking about seeking God's face. And I just wanted to understand more about that phrase because it stood out to me. And any time I'm reading the scriptures and something stands out to me, I assume that's God wanting me to pay attention to something that I just read. And so I turned over my study Bible and I was looking through those and understanding what seek his face means, which, which was another way of saying that we intentionally engage in a relationship with God. That's what seek his face means, to intentionally engage in a relationship with God. Because it just doesn't happen naturally. We have to seek it out, to go to him, to want. And you know how it is when you have face-to-face -face communication with someone. It's different than when you're just talking on the phone, which we almost never do now, right? It's, if we're talking to somebody, it's usually on Zoom or we're just texting. But there's something special about being in the same place, looking someone in the face, and having a conversation. And that really stood out to me, and so I just want to think more deeply about it. So if you're doing the reading plan, I encourage you to add to your reading study. And as you're reading each day, Note those things you would like to study, and then on Saturday or Sunday, if you don't have the time that day, pull out a study Bible or, or whatever commentary or whatever helps you may have. If you don't have any, let me know. I'll be glad to get you some. And, uh, and study up on whatever it is that the Lord's pointing you to. We also have a Bible reading plan for students, which is uh, quarterly because it actually has really great little um, journal entries in there for them each day, and they can write about what they've read. And so this is a great resource as well. These are out here on the table in the sanctuary back here where the lamp is, and I think we've got a few on the table in uh, the foyer as you exit. You can pick one of those up. Okay, that was, a, that was a long intro. I want to pray for us, and then I want to take a look at Acts 13. Okay, let's pray together. Father God, first we just give you thanks for the work that you have done and the lives of these boys that we saw this morning. We give you thanks for their families faithfulness to live the gospel and to share the good news of Jesus with their children. And God, that, that these boys, since you leading them to this moment, since you leading them to place their faith in Jesus, and they had the courage to share that through the act of baptism to bear witness to what you have done in their life. And so we just start and say, thank you, Lord, for that. How awesome it was to be a part of it. And God, in your providence, you've provided for us a place to talk about how you, through your spirit, have sent people into this world to bear witness. Not only through baptism, but by sharing the good news of Jesus and discipling people in that good news. And yes, baptizing them in the name of you, our Father, the Son, and Spirit as well. And God, so I pray that you would just speak to us. Help us to see how we take what you have given us in your scriptures and apply it to our lives. Help our minds to think clearly about what you want to speak to us. Help our hearts to be receptive and soft towards your Spirit's message to us through the Scriptures. And help our hands and feet be ready to go from this place and live out what you show us. And all this we pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. Well, we've been in Acts for a little while now. And what I have shared with you is sometimes the book of Acts is called the Acts of the Apostles but it's really more accurately described as the acts of the Holy Spirit. 
The acts of the Holy Spirit in the early church, as Jesus uh, ascended into heaven to be with the Father, he sent the Holy Spirit to dwell in the disciples. Interestingly, I had a whole sermon about Pentecost, and that was a, a harvest festival of the Jewish people. And uh, Pentecost meant, meant to mark out uh, the weeks between uh, the Passover and uh, several weeks out. Today, for the church, we, we can call this, this is Pentecost Sunday. This is the several weeks past Sabbath. So now it's the several weeks past Easter, which is the weekend Sabbath took place. And now when the Holy Spirit fell on the disciples, it took place at Pentecost. So we see, we celebrate that today, that the Holy Spirit came up, and, and we often say that when the Holy Spirit came upon the disciples at Pentecost, it was the birth of the church. And the church has a mission. The church was given specific instructions by Jesus at the very beginning of Acts, where Jesus says to them, you're going to receive power from the Holy Spirit. When the Holy Spirit comes on you, you're going to receive power, Acts 1.8, and you will be my witnesses. And Jesus says, you're going to witness what you have seen both here in Jerusalem, because that's where they were at that time. You're going to be a witness in all that you've experienced in Judea, in Samaria, and then Acts 1-8 ends to the ends of the earth. So the church is given this mission to take the good news of Jesus and share it with others. And now we're seeing this begin to unfold in the life of Paul and Barnabas. Understanding, again, this is the work of the Holy Spirit. In fact, we didn't read this verse, but it's too important to skip over. I want to go back to it. In chapter 13 of Acts, we read in verse 2 that while they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work for which I have called them. So after fasting and praying, they placed their hands on them and sent them off. The churches, the church, the center of the Christian church became a place called Antioch. And I've got, uh, one of the things I wanted to emphasize today is that the work of God is taking place in time and space. It's happening here and now, here at First Baptist Kennedy, Texas, and other Christian churches in our community, across the state of Texas, across America, across the world, God is at work. He is always at work. The Holy Spirit is always pushing out the good news of Jesus so that others may know and have a chance to believe. And so as a way to kind of show that, I don't want these places that we're going to learn a little bit about today to be stale to us. I want you to see this is taking place in history some 2,000 years ago. So I got a few charts for you. I know some of you, you're going to check out. You're not here for charts. You don't want to see a chart. I get that. Others of you, you're like, I've been waiting for Matt to show me a chart for months. I haven't seen one in forever. I cannot wait. Okay, so let's get to it. I got a couple charts. Let's look at the first one. just kind of shows you, or these are maps. I should put it that way. These are maps. So the center of the church became a place called Antioch. It's going to get a little confusing because there's two Antiochs, but we'll cover that in just a minute. The center of the church became a place called Antioch. In fact, we read in the scriptures, this is where Christians were first called Christians, right? And it became the center of the church because the Christians were pushed out of Jerusalem. Not all of them, but enough of them were pushed out of Jerusalem after a guy named Stephen was uh, martyred for his faith. He was, he was killed because of his testimony about Jesus. 
And so he was killed for that. And the other, and many Christians dispersed from Jerusalem and, and kind of covered some of the Roman world at that time. And so there was a collection of people in Antioch, a collection of Christians in Antioch, and it really became the center of the Christian church in many ways. And it's from this church in Antioch that as they're together, as we just read, they're worshiping, they're fasting, and who shows up but the Holy Spirit, who is always there anyways. The Holy Spirit is there. And the Holy Spirit impresses upon the church, I want you to set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I've called them. The work is the work of a missionary going to share the good news of Jesus. And as we look at that, I just want to say, maybe the Holy Spirit is setting you apart for that kind of work. Maybe the Holy Spirit is calling you to be one of those missionaries, and a missionary is one who is on mission. A missionary, the word itself, means to be sent. Maybe God is calling you to be sent into our world to bear witness to what God has done in Jesus Christ in far-off lands like Paul, like Barnabas, or Saul and Barnabas. Maybe that's you. Maybe God's been pressing that on your heart. Maybe he's given you a desire for that. He's given you a hunger for that. And maybe today the Holy Spirit will press upon you that it's time to act. It's time to respond. It's time to take up that call and move forward in that direction. So that's what the Holy Spirit is doing. The Holy Spirit is calling forth from the church missionaries. And then in verse 4 of chapter 13, we read this. The two of them, Saul and Barnabas, are sent on their way by who? The Holy Spirit. Do you see that? The Holy Spirit called them. The Holy Spirit sent them. That's why we say, uh, rightly so, that the book of Acts is the acts of the Holy Spirit through the church after Jesus' ascension to stand at the right hand of the Father. So the Spirit is sending them out. He sends them to Seleucia, and they sail from there to Cyprus. Now you see on there the map for that. You see Cyprus there. It's got a couple pins, so it's a little hard to see. They land on what would have been the east side of this little island out in the middle of the Mediterranean. They make their way down the southern part of the island to a place called Paphos. And that's where we pick up in verse 13. From Paphos, Paul and his companions set sail to Perga and Pamphylia. And so we got another map for that. It's going to show that. Should be the next one. Shows you they move up. from. Just look at the red one. Don't ignore the, the green one is a guy named John Mark who left the disciples, left John or left Paul and, and our Saul and Barnabas as they did their missionary work. We don't know why John Mark left, but he left and he went back down uh, to uh, Judea. So that's the green line. You can just kind of ignore that one for now because we're focused on the red line. The red line shows Saul and Barnabas's travels from the island of Cyprus up to, uh, as it says in verse 13 of chapter 13, from Paphos to Perga and Pamphylia. And there in Pamphylia, they set sail to another place called Pisidian Antioch. Now, I said this is where it gets a little confusing is because there's two Antiochs. And this is the second one that they're going to go to, and I'll show you. We'll take a look, a little map at that. Take a look at this. If you're wondering where, where in the world is this, this is, this is not a fictionary, imaginary place. This is, this is Turkey. This is modern-day Turkey, all right? And so they're traveling through the center of what we would call modern-day Turkey, and they're traveling up to a place uh, called Pisidian Antioch, a second Antioch. Now, I'm going through all this trouble to explain this to you because I want you to understand that God works in places through people. He wants to work through us in Kennedy, Texas. 
God is, God is about the local church in a local place sharing the good news of Jesus with real people, all right? And this is how God has always acted. He's acted in time and place through people. And that's what's happening. Now, what takes place here in uh, Pisidian Antioch is what Paul would typically do is he would go from synagogue to synagogue. A synagogue was like a local church, you could call it that, but it was for Jewish people. And he would show up there, and actually our Christian worship is really kind of modeled around what they did in the synagogue back in the day. They would gather, and they would worship, and they would read scripture as a part of their worship, and they'd have a, teacher as a part, teaching as a part of the worship. And if you had somebody from outside of town that was seen as a rabbi or teacher, they would often be invited. You have a word of encouragement for us today. And Paul, or Saul, and Barnabas are the, I guess you could say, the visiting lecturers, and they come in, and they ask them to share. And Paul gives an incredible sermon. He starts from the beginning and walks his people all the way through to Jesus, showing them who Jesus is, what he did, what's the significance of it, so that they may respond. And right in the middle of this, what's interesting is you have Paul the missionary sent across the Roman world to bear witness to Jesus, but he says, you know, when Jesus was resurrected, you know what happened? Is this took place and people saw him. He, he wasn't resurrected and like one or two saw him and then he hid away. No, Jesus walked around the earth for 40 days bearing witness to some four or 500 people. This is what 1 Corinthians 15 teaches us. These are other witnesses. You could say, how do you know Jesus rose from the dead, Barnabas, Paul? How, how do we know that? And Paul would say, well, we've got witnesses. You can go and ask them if you want to make the trip. Go on over there. Ask them what they saw. Ask them what they experienced. Because hundreds of them could bear witness to the resurrected Jesus. This is exactly what he says at the end of verse 31 of Acts 13. They are now his witnesses to our people. Now, I started by saying the Holy Spirit may be calling you to be a missionary sent to a place where the gospel has not penetrated and God may be asking you to move to a foreign place uh, and bear witness to Jesus there. But maybe not. Actually, most of us not. So do we say then, so that's what missionaries do. I don't have a role in that. That's what they do. I don't have to do that. We got people for that, right? We want Jesus' word to go out. We got people for that. It's not me. But look what's taking place in the middle of chapter 13. It is ordinary disciples, Christians, who witnessed Jesus' resurrection, and they're the ones who gave the proof. They're the ones who stood behind Saul's claims, Paul's claims, to what Jesus had done, that he had, in fact, not only died, but rose again. And let me tell you, you may not be a foreign missionary, which we used to call it, an international missionary. You may not be a North American missionary sent to start a new church in a place where the gospel is not burning bright, but you are still a witness. In fact, that's, that, that's your role, middle of, of chapter 13. If you are not called to go be a missionary somewhere, God is calling you to be a missionary exactly where you are. You are sent into your family, onto your block, into your workplace, into your classroom. You are sent to bear witness. What does a witness do? A witness says, here's what I've seen, here's what I've experienced. 
And some of you say, well, I can't preach. Not everybody has to. I can't, I can't sing. Not everybody has to have a, a beautiful voice that can lead others in singing, as we just experienced. They did a great job. You may say, you see what they did, and you say, well, I can't do that. You don't have to. You can simply bear witness to what Christ has done in your life. What has he done? What have you seen? There is one of the beautiful things about baptism is that that is the intention of baptism. And I think it was Oliver that said that, right? You don't just do it to get wet, right? What are you doing? You're telling people about the work of Jesus in your life. Baptism is like the beginning of that witness, but it's not the end of that witness. God has placed you in your corner of the world to bear witness, to say, this is what I have seen. This is what I've experienced of my living God. This is what Jesus has done in my life. And just as Saul and Barnabas had the Holy Spirit to send them and enable them to do it, just as those early witnesses to Jesus' resurrection had the Holy Spirit inside them, giving them the power to bear witness to what they had seen. The Holy Spirit, Christian, if you are a Christian, the Holy Spirit lives in you and wants you to bear witness in your corner of the world to the goodness of God in Christ. There are people in your life that desperately need to hear what God has done in you. They need the hope that you have. And you and I choose whether we share that hope or not. And that brings us to kind of the center of Paul's message in this church in a place called Antioch. Paul has something specific to say about this Jesus. He gives explanation as to how this Jesus is the one that God promised. But what did Jesus actually do? In verse 38, we read, Therefore, my friends, I want you to know that through Jesus, the forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. Through him, everyone who believes is set free from every sin, a justification you were not able to obtain under the law of Moses. See, this is why we, if you, you, I've used this word already, and not everybody may not know what it means, but when I use the word gospel, that, that's a transliteration from, from the, the Greek word, and, it, and the word gospel literally means good news. And the center of Saul slash Paul's message here is this good news, that there is forgiveness for every sin. So when you bear witness, or if you're here today and you're not a Christian, you're wondering, well, what is this witness all about? What, what, what am I supposed to be hearing about? What are people supposed to be telling me about? What is this good news? I don't know what it is. And, and it's right here. It's that every sin in Jesus can be forgiven. Now, of course, we've got that verse where it talks about there's an unpardonable sin, which is to reject the forgiveness of God which begins with the work of the Holy Spirit in our life. We understand that. But I want, to center, I want us to focus on this because I, I wonder if some of you came in here today and you thought, well, I've got some misdemeanor sins, and I could see how God forgive that, could forgive that. But, you know, I've got some, like, capital punishment sins, and, and I can't forgive myself. I don't think God can forgive me either. And you can believe that. But let me just tell you, that's not in the Bible. What we read right here clearly is Paul saying 
every sin. So you may be thinking to yourself of all the sins that you feel guilt and shame over, the sins you hope nobody ever finds out about, and and you're just certain that God can't forgive that. But that's not what the scriptures teach us. It does teach that your sin and my sin is so serious that it took the blood of the Son of God to scrub it off of our record, but it also teaches us that for the joy set before him, Jesus endured the cross. That Jesus gladly went to the cross to pay for your sin and mine. That he took joy in knowing that through this excruciating event in his life, he was going to produce the best news that anybody had ever shared and anybody had ever heard. Which is not not some sins, not low-level sins, not even many sins, not even great sins, but every sin can be forgiven in Jesus. And how often do we struggle? to be made right with God. How often do we wrestle and we say, I can't pray to God. I just messed up again. I can't open the Bible and read it. I haven't read it in forever and I feel guilty. I feel bad about that. I, I just can't do it. I can't go to church, you know, because I can't sit in that worship service in that church. The walls will fall down. You know, people don't even know about my life. This is what makes the good news so good is that you don't have to be good. That's what makes the good news so good, is you don't have to be good enough. You just have to have faith enough. And Jesus says what faith is needed is the size of a mustard seed. You don't even have to have tons of faith. You just have to have a little bit of faith that Jesus was good enough for you, that Jesus is enough for you, because, in fact, he is. And maybe you haven't had enough people or a lot of people or maybe you might think the right people bearing witness to that in your life. But let the Spirit of God speak to you now. Are you far from God? Do you worry about your eternal destination? Do you worry about, will God accept me into heaven or am I going to face eternity in hell? You feel the weight of sin and shame and guilt just piling on your shoulders day after day. Good news about the good news is you don't have to be good enough. You don't have to be good enough to change your eternal destination from hell to heaven. You don't have to be good enough to remove guilt and shame from your life. You don't have to be good enough for God. Jesus was good enough for God for you. You only need to embrace that good news. And let me tell you something. If you're a Christian here today, that should bring joy into your heart to know that that's true. In the midst of difficulty in life and challenges and we get discouraged and we get down, we keep going back to this truth. God loves you in Jesus. God has forgiven you in Jesus. God has secured for you an eternal home in Jesus. You didn't earn it. You can't lose it. You didn't earn it. You can't mess that up. You've got a future that is so amazing, so beautiful. Go in the Go read the end of Revelation. It's, it's incredible. It will make every hard day in this world worth it when you get there. And when you hear that, when you think about that, when you let that dwell in your soul that God has given you this good news for bad people like me and you, guess what? 
That's good news that's worth sharing. That is good news worth bearing witness over. And if you're here today and you, don't, you have not embraced that good news yet, you've heard it now. You have heard the good news now. What will you do with it? My hope is that you'll take that good news and you'll accept it not as good news generally, good news for other people, but good news for you. That you might say to God, God, I believe Forgive me of my sins. I embrace Jesus as my Savior. I want to live for Him. I hope that that's what you will do with the good news. And then you will take that good news. And then you will bear witness. Because God has placed you in your corner of the world to do just that. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for your word in these incredible moments in the early life of the church. Where people risk their life to tell people about Jesus because they knew that this life was not all there is. There is a life to come that makes all of the difficulty worth it. And I pray each and every person here today would leave this place with that hope. To know that in Jesus, every day and eternity will be better than the last. And the goodness of God will never wear out. And the joy of salvation will never run thin. We will get to experience you in your presence in glory forever. We would just let that bubble up in our lives and spill over that others may hear and see and taste the goodness of you, our God, shown to us through your son, Jesus, as you work in us through the Holy Spirit. This is what we pray. In the name of Jesus, amen. Well, perhaps today you've been thinking about someone for whom you know the Spirit is leading you to bear witness to. Like Philip, when the Spirit sent him to the Ethiopian eunuch to bear witness to Jesus. God's got someone in your life, and you know he's calling you to bear witness to them. This invitation, as we sing together to close our service, would you just be praying for that person? that God has put on your heart, that you know they're far from God and you want to see them get close to God? Would you pray that God would open the door that you might share your testimony? Listen, you don't have to have the Bible memorized. You don't have to have a particular evangelism method memorized. All good, all helpful. You just need to be a life transformed. Can you share how God has transformed you with that person you love that you know is far from God? With the help of the Holy Spirit, you can. But would you use this opportunity, this chance to respond in our invitation to pray for that person, pray for open doors, pray for courage that the Holy Spirit would give you to bear witness to someone you love that's far from God. Or maybe for you, you're the one that you've heard the good news and you don't know what to do with it. Would you place your faith in Jesus today? You, you can walk down the aisle. You can come pray with me. You can grab somebody next to you that you know is a faithful Christian and they can pray with you. But don't leave this place today without that hope. Without knowing that the good news is good news for you and you've embraced it. That eternity is your home and the presence of God. Wouldn't you want to walk out of this place knowing that that's absolutely true of you? Talk to God about it. If you're thinking about it, it's because God is speaking to you about it. That's what the Spirit does. He draws us to the Son. And if He's drawing you, 
My prayer is that you'll respond by faith. Let's stand together. Let's respond to the Lord however he leads as we sing together. Mm -hmm. 